the regular season in the rear view, the postseason ahead, but it is Sons Vancouver Canucks yet again. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. It is Canucks Central here in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. I don't often uh, use French, uh, Sat, but um, <laughs> it is our second language here in uh, in Canada. So officially, yes, that's yes. an official language. It is an official language. I should yes. You see, you're be- you're much better at this than I am. <laughs> Definitely not better in with French, <laughs> but well, I know sans, you know, or if if I were to actually pronounce it correctly, sans, 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 sans. It's like really that. hard to do English and. French at the same time. Not easy. <laughs> Maybe I should be more lenient on people trying to like pronounce Italian things while they're also speaking English. It's almost as if if it's not your official language, it's not easy. <laughs> almost as if these things are true. Yes. Never going to happen. Uh, in any case, uh, we know it. Season's done. Post game in the books. You can listen back on Sat and Bick following the Canucks. Riveting. Overtime win over the Arizona Coyotes that clinched them the 11th best lottery odds. Um, it's it's Groundhog Day when it comes to lottery odds for the Vancouver Canucks. They always seem to end up with the worst possible scenario. Well, the worst possible scenario would have been to fall below 11, but, you know, <laughs> they barely snuck in to have an opportunity at Connor Bedard. Yeah, I mean, at least they have a chance at Connor Bedard. It's disappointing to see them at 11th, unless, of course, they win the draft lottery from 11th. So, yes, <laughs> that's kind of, I mean, you know, on, like, hey, we all agree, and I don't want to keep doing this draft lottery thing, but yeah, yeah we all agree. We, we, you know, hope that they would have had a better pick than 11th if they don't win the lottery. But now it's just down to getting that lottery luck. Like, do the balls fall your way? They haven't ever for the Vancouver Canucks. So maybe just maybe this is the year. Uh, they're due, uh, as, uh, our friends would say 650 650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. If you want to get in on it, you can and uh, get some questions, comments, whatever else. We have the mailbag coming up after five o'clock. Anna Hansen joining us in the second segment of today's first hour of the show. But I do want to start this on looking ahead to the offseason sat. Okay, yes, May 8th is the draft lottery, and that could decide some things for the Vancouver Canucks, but it is completely out of their control now as to where the lottery balls will end up. As far as off-season priorities, though, let's start to go through it a little bit here for Patrick Alvine, the general manager of this team, and Jim Rutherford. You know, they've seen this team go on an impressive run, 30 points since the trade deadline. That's a top five mark in the National Hockey League. Their new coach started to implement some structure to their Mm -hmm. game that they have been so desperately calling for. And now they've started to put some building blocks in place, but there is still a lot of work to be done. Where does it start for Patrick Alvin this offseason? Is it still not the defense? Mm-hmm. Right. But I think beyond all that, does it not all begin with getting money out the door? Yeah. Because how much can you really accomplish unless you do that? That's 
ultimately what this offseason is about. You know, we almost have to have a disclaimer at the start of every show. Like <laughs> yeah, every possible outcome or every possible discussion, every theory about what the Canucks could do this offseason starts with them opening cap space because you may have heard this before. They're essentially going into the offseason with negative cap space. Now, some things could be maneuvered. LTIR is still up in the air with Tanner Pearson, Tucker Pullman, and those types. Um, they could have a higher-than-expected rise in the salary cap, which could maybe change some things as well for where the numbers end up. But ultimately, they have very little cap space mm -hmm. to work with going into the offseason. So little that it, even in the best of scenarios – is not enough to add any sort of significant player, any sort of impact player to this roster. So it has to start with clearing cap space for this team. It, it absolutely does. The question to some degree is, and this is something the team hinted at, they believe they have ways to clear that money. They believe that... Um, there are moves that they can make. If that's the case, then maybe it's pretty easy to transition in terms of uh, having something you know you're moving off the books and then you go and add something so you already have that played out and to some degree. And their MO has been that, right? Like every move they've made, they've either had an inclination of the next move or an idea of what they're doing for their next move, right? And we saw with the Horvat thing ends up with Heronic. We saw it, you know, with the Dickinson trade, which led, led to... Uh, the Ethan Bear trade, and obviously we saw the Travis Hamannick trade, which led to the uh, Travis Dermott trade. So that's the MO for them, right? So if they do actually have something they think they can do in terms of moving the money and then add something else, then maybe that's going to be an easy thing for them to accomplish, and we shouldn't worry too much about the cap space. But it's hard to envision how they improve unless they are moving stuff out, right? Like that's ultimately what it comes down to. And I wonder, outside of making trades and we'll see ultimately how successful they can be in that can they explore other avenues like is a buyout truly on the on the table or is it off the table because in their season ticket holding holder uh, letter they said they're going to explore every single avenue available to them to clear cap space which would include buyouts but will they actually do that well that would sort of have to go through the list of who is available for a buyout. And we've talked about Oliver Ekman Larson. It is a $19 million cost of real money to buy out Oliver Ekman Larson. There's a ton of cap space that it saves for this upcoming year, but it is a very costly buyout should you go down that road. Beyond OEL... Is there really a really any other candidate to be bought out for this team? I know some people are going to text in Tyler Myers. It doesn't make sense to buy out Tyler Myers given the $5 million signing bonus he has to be paid this offseason yeah. and essentially the cap savings you would get from buying out all, uh, Tyler Myers are less than it would be to just bury him in the AHL for the entire season or about the same. So it doesn't make a lot of sense to do that. You can maybe look at um, some other players like a Connor Garland, but I would hope that you, you can trade Connor Garland rather than actually having to buy him out as a player. Yeah. Well, that's what I wonder about, right? Like, 
and if they can move Garland, even for anything, it's just about moving him in terms of clearing the money. And I know fans liked how he played down the stretch, but that may give you the opportunity here to get the money off your books at the very least to allow you to do other things if the fit's not perfect here on the team. So Elliot Friedman actually addressed this topic today on 32 Thoughts, and here's what he had to say about the Canucks potentially looking at buyouts to open up cap space. I don't think the owner wants to buy out anyone, so to clear space, they're going to have to get creative. And I still think they're going to look at another center. One of the guys I kind of wonder about this offseason is Ross Colton from Tampa. And, you know, you just look at Tampa's cap structure, and Kalorn's a guy. We don't know that they're going to be able to keep him. Like right now, Ross Colton is making $1.125 million. And he's 26 years old, and he's a, so he's one year away from unrestricted free agency. He's an RFA with Arbrights. I'll be interested to see, does Tampa make room to keep him, or are teams going to be lining up to go get him? And it won't be inexpensive. And That is uh, Elliot Friedman on Hi. the Canucks looking for a 3C this year as a potential off-season priority, but he also mentioned that buyouts don't seem to be an option for the Vancouver Canucks. So as much as we've looked at it and we've thought about it, is that something this team really wants to do? And as I said, you know, doesn't make a ton of sense, Sat, if it's not Oliver ekman Larson. I don't know who you're buying out on this roster that makes all that much sense. Yeah, I'm not buying out Connor Garland. Um, you know, I'm not buying out pretty much anybody in this roster right now. You know, if you're not buying out, even, oh, like I can understand. And like in terms of if you think it's better for you to figure out a way to deal with the $4 million and have it off your books or buy it out in a year or two, okay, there, there's some rationale to buying it out in a couple of years or something. And, you know, there's less, uh, you know, onerous stuff there for you. But I don't think there's anybody else on this roster I look at and say, oh, you got to buy this player out. Because the Garland one makes zero sense to me. And are we are we buying out minor players? Like, they traded Riley Stillman already, so there's no need to do that. And you mentioned the Tyler Myers. I mean, it's cheaper for you to bury My- Myers in the minors and get 1.1-something off your cap than it is to buy him out. You only save 600000 by buying him out. There's literally no other buyout option if you're not buying out OEL. The other one that comes to mind is Brock Besser. Do you think they'll go that far with him? It's for just under four and a half million dollars of savings for the next two seasons against the cap, and then a two point two and change cap charge for the two seasons following that. So yeah. the penalty is not insignificant. Besser is twenty six, so it is a two thirds buyout. Um, it's like there's cap savings there, but is it worth it? Man, okay. <laughs> I mean, there are cap savings there, but to me, it's not. I'd rather get through one more year with him and then see what happens. If you had to buy out the last year, okay, mm-hmm. maybe. But if you're buying him out, you know, what, a year after giving him a three-year contract extension, that means you completely misread the player in the market for the player. Yeah. Completely, right? Like, I mean, why sign this player to buy him out a year from now? So you're telling me you had no idea about his market? You know what I mean? Like, if you have to go to that, that would tell me that, they didn't have a good sense of what his market was. They mm-hmm. misjudged it, and now they have a contract that they can't get off their books. 
I hope that's not the case, and that's why I don't think there's going to be a buyout, and maybe they'll get through next year, maybe he plays better, maybe retain some salary. That seems to be the better way of going about this and actually buying him out. But I get it from the team's perspective in terms of, so you hear other teams being like, well, we need you to retain some money. They don't want to retain any money, right? But if you're if teams are asking to retain $2 million on the contract for two years, would you rather not just retain $2 million for two years to buy him out and have a $2 million cap charge for four years? Yeah, it doesn't make a ton doesn't of sense. It doesn't make any sense. I think you have to you either trade him or you play him and you retain some salary, but I don't see the buyout option being one for him. Uh, this question comes in, Does didn't Besser have a career year? He had 55 points, which uh, is just short of his career high of 56. But uh, as we've talked about a bunch on this show, Besser, um, his two-way game really collapsed this year and didn't provide much defensive value and provided negative defensive value to this team if we're being completely honest about it it, it was a second worst point per game yeah stretch of his career right so last year he was worse than this year and this year is a second worst so in terms of yeah it's a second career it's a second uh his ties it for a second highest total for points in season 55 56 as you mentioned but points per game is a second worst season despite playing 74 games. Now, the good news is he played 74 games. He's yeah. had back-to-back -back years now, Dan, where he's played over 70 games, and he played all 56 in the North Division. Still missed some time, but he's, you know, you play at least 70 games, I can take that. We, you know, when, when we talk about this, it's, it's obvious where the cap savings or where the Canucks are going to try and trim some of their salary cap commitments right now. And it's on the wing. It's one of Besser, Garland, Beauvillier even, if that situation is a little bit easier, given that he has just one year remaining on his deal and it is a lower cap charge than Garland and Besser. Myers is an interesting one as a trade candidate because of the $1 million salary. Once his bonus is paid out, he could become more tradable. Does it make sense to do that? What are you getting back in return? Does it make sense to hold on and see if you can actually get a real asset back in return? at next year's trade deadline for Tyler Myers. But it's obvious if they're going to clear cap, it has to come from one of those players. And as you said a little bit earlier, Sat, they must have a good sense of what's available out there as Patrick Alvin seemed pretty confident after the deadline that they were going to be able to move some cap. Yeah, and hopefully it's, it's you know, like you said, it's not just, you know guessing it's actually you know, and everything i hear and you know and even what they've said is like they actually truly have a lay of the land and that's how they feel about it but prove it right and we'll see what happens this offseason and that's going to have to be the case because when you look at what the team can do and there are there is some flexibility ltir wise because based on everything we've heard tanner pearson may not 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 just not play next season he may not play hockey again based on some of the stuff we're hearing in terms of a grievance because the functionality of his hand is still very much in question, not only for hockey, but the things he can do with his hand, which is obviously a very concerning situation for him and his family. You hope the best, of course, but that's obviously something that's unresolved, and it doesn't look like at any point next season he's going to be playing. So you have $3.5 in LTIR, and Pullman may very well join him in that pool, too, to start next year, so that's $5 million. That gives you enough flexibility to bring your guys back. Like, you can sign Ethan Bear, you can fill your roster out. That gives you enough to do that. But it doesn't really give you enough space to make something significant happen. So what they're going to have to do, and this is something that 
Obviously, they've shown some inclination of being able to pull off. Like, we didn't exceed the Travis Hamannick deal come, and they made that deal. Even moving Riley Stillman and getting an actual prospect back in return. So, maybe there is something there in lines with some players that we weren't quite seeing, but the market bears something different. And if that's the case, then all of a sudden we're looking at, okay, here's some LTIR space. There's $5 million a player getting moved out. And it gives you enough space to maybe add a center and maybe add a defenseman, but it's not going to be a big ticket item unless you find a second player to get off your books. And that's why I keep wondering, it's, it's, it's fine if you move a Garland or even a Bavillier, but you need to do one more. And can you actually move Myers? And that's going to be the big question. Are you able to move him once his bonus is paid? And can you maybe expedite that process to find a taker sooner? So when it comes to adding to this team, then, if we move on from the clearing cap space situation, is it, well, I'll put it this way. Is it more important to get Pedersen done first or add to this team for next year? Get Pedersen done first. Yeah. I think, I mean, number one, the most important thing is to get, Elias Patterson signed to a long-term contract and have some clarity on your cap picture internally. Because once you have your internal picture set up and you have an idea, I think it gives you a better inclination of what to go after and how to get all that stuff done. Now, maybe it's chalked to some extent in terms of the number and it's only a matter of time because they know they're going to get it done and the biggest factor to get done is kind of the structure of the contract like you talked to Earth about, the bonus structure, how the contract gets doled out money-wise. That may be the bigger challenge, but the AAV might be an easier thing to figure out. But I would have to imagine you want some clarity at the very least on what that number is going to look like so you can plan out the rest of your offseason properly. It's going to be the most important thing of the offseason. Um, you know, before you add anything, all these different types of things. Elias Pettersson and the build of this franchise around him, it's massive. So getting him done to a contract, whether it's $12 million, 11 and a half, I don't know where the number ends up, but it's going to be expensive. You know it's going to be expensive. He knows it's going to be expensive. He knows what he's worth, but he's your best player. He's your best forward. He's a top 10 center in the league. He's a 100-point guy. Is profiling like a dominant two-way forward as well. I mean, that's just a guy that you need to get locked up as soon as possible and get some clarity. And the number, I mean, yeah, sure, you'd like to keep it as low as you possibly can. But if it's $11 million per year, great. If it's $12 million per year, for me, Pedersen is still worth that. So I still sign it as soon as it's possible on July 1st if it's that, mu- that much money. Yeah, and I mean, you can't technically talk contract right now, right? You can't technically sign a contract, but you can have some discussions. You can have some, you can have a good sense really quickly on yeah. what the challenges may be, how likely it is to get done, and his desire. And as soon as, as long as you know, A, he's signing, and B, what the general structures, the, the general AAV range is going to look like, then you know what you got to do. You know, you can't just, you know, make all these trades and then wait till July 1 and ask Pedersen, do you want to stay here? I mean, you can't. You have to have that figured out before the draft. And I think, based on everything we've heard, is they're probably pretty close to knowing that hey, he wants to stay. We are going to work this out. It's just a matter of getting that all done and, and and figuring it out. And once you have that clarity, then I think it makes it a bit easier for them in terms of their offseason planning, right? Because I mean, I don't foresee Pedersen saying he doesn't want to be here, but. If it got to that situation, this is the year you have to move him. You can't wait for Pedersen to be in the final year of his contract, right? And you can't be heading into a situation where you don't have clarity on a situation ahead of the draft. You would almost be in the situation that Calgary was in with Matthew Kachuk. And then as soon as you find out, yeah, I'm not signing, 
then you have to make that move. Um, and it's it's tough, but that's uh, the reality that uh, the Canucks and other teams find themselves in when they get into this situation with a star player that's up for contract and is nearing unrestricted free agency, even if they are a couple of years out. So when it comes to adding to this roster, they talk so much about a center. You heard Elliot Friedman earlier in that clip too talk about adding a third-line center to this team. When he was here in Vancouver, he talked about that with us uh, the night he was doing um, the telethon with you, Sat. Um, 3C seems to be the priority that keeps being set. When we talked to Patrick Alvin after the deadline, he mentioned adding another center to this roster and how important that is. So as much as we've talked about feeling that they need to add another defenseman to this team, do they feel like a third-line center is more important for them to add? So it could very well be. You know, I can't sit here and tell you absolutely what the priority is. One thing the organization has said, though, is that the rebuilding the defense is the main priority. Do they feel like they've done enough to rebuild it for the time being? And I say the time being with Ethan Bear and obviously Philip Hironik being added to the fold. And I'm not mentioning Hirose because I don't think he's even going to start (laughs) next year. But, I mean, those two guys, right, like those two guys in particular, do they feel like, okay, with those two players, if you're not buying at OEL, you can't trade them, and with Quinn Hughes – well, there's kind of your top four. Mm-hmm. And, and listen, I'm not saying that should be your top four, but I wonder if, if, if you're prioritizing center or a third-line center or another forward here, that means you feel pretty good about your top four. But I still don't think they're done with the defense. You can't be done with the defense. Like, How much are we spending time talking about the need a good defensive penalty-killing D-man? Yeah. Is it I just, think that's that. I mean, what's a bigger need, that or a center that can do those things? I mean, they need they need both. I think they're pretty equal yeah. in terms of priority. One A, one B. Like, I, I don't think it's going to be like we prioritize center. We'll think about defense later. I think it's pretty much neck and neck. The problem is the cap commitments that are already there on defense. Yeah, yeah. That's the biggest. I mean, even teams said this. They're like, hey, for us to really rebuild the defense, we still need to move money out. They've just added so far, right? Yeah. Ethan Bear. They've added Philip Hironik. Yeah, and Ethan Bear is going to get more expensive this summer as a restricted yeah. free agent. So it's tough on D to add more unless you move something out. They're not going to buy out OEL. It doesn't seem that way, at least. Tyler Myers is still with a year left on his contract. We talk about moving him. It's not exactly black and white, not an easy thing to do. So where are you adding? And do they give Oliver Ekman Larson one more year to see if you know he can play in a more structured environment with Rick Tockett? As much as like I think there can be a bounce back there, I still don't think OEL's got the penalty kill chops to save this team from having a bottom third penalty kill again next year. No, I mean, I don't worry too much about which pairing he might be on because it's more about roles and designations for what you're looking to do, right? Yeah. And, you know, if it's OEL on the second pair, is he really playing that role? I would imagine the best the best fit for Oliver ekman Larson on this team is either – you know, playing next to Philip Hironik and they think that's going to take off, or you find that defensive D, play alongside Hironik, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you have your top four solidified, and then your third pair, you have OEL, he's on your second power play unit too, maybe him and Hironik or whatever, and he gives you a steady puck-moving player on your third pair. Now, it's not worth the money, of course, but it's more about maximizing and getting the best out of a player that clearly you may be forced to have on your roster next season. And... Given they need somebody to match up and play defensively, that's kind of the best place I see for Oliver Ekman Larson. And maybe it's kind of triaging his situation because 
if right now ownership isn't willing to buy him out because next season he has a $10.5 million salary, well, once that $10.5 million gets paid, well, then he's owed $20 million over the final four years of the contract after that, right? And once that $10 million gets paid, oh, those final three years of his contract, then the buyout's only going to be about, what, um, 12, 13 million total money, which is still a lot of money, but it's significantly less than playing, paying 20 million right now to get the guy off your books and him not paying for you, plus pay, paying somebody else, even if the minor salary, to play in his spot. So maybe it's about getting through one more year and then seeing where it's at. But this whole notion of him being revitalized and becoming the defenseman this team needs, I just don't see that in that with the type of role they need him to fill. Uh, those are the main off-season priorities for the Vancouver Canucks, and certainly a conversation we'll continue to have as we get deeper into the off-season. Up next, our Friday Canucks analyst, former Canuck Yannick Hansen, here on Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Should you want to get in on the conversation, you can at the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Also on Twitter, at Satyar Shah. And you can find me at Dan Riccio underscore. Um Ella with a question, a little ahead of the mailbag. Put yourself in Elias Pettersson's shoes. If you were him, would you re-sign with the Canucks this summer? I mean, it's hard to turn down $90 million if it's on the table. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard to turn down 80 to $90 million. And I mean, why wouldn't you re-sign in Vancouver? Like, do you think it's, it's, it's that bad here that you think it's hopeless and not going to be able to win? I mean, is that if that's how he feels, then yeah. But I mean, again, like... There is enough here to build around if you play your cards right. They have a lot of work to do, but there is something here to build around. And when you're a year away, you can bank that money. You bank it. And this is a great, I mean, as much as the team we talk about, it's a great city. It's a great market. There's a lot of great things about playing in Vancouver. So, yeah, my answer would be yes. One of the most, um, I don't know if impressive is the right word, but... One of the things that this management group has been able to do is identify talent on a budget. And they did it pretty well last offseason. Uh, they seem to have done it again with some of the college free agents they've picked up, at least Akito Hirose, right? Um, he's looked good. Nils Oman was really solid as a pickup last offseason. Philip Johansson has looked good. Dakota Joshua. I mean, they've, they've done a good job of identi identifying some talent on the cheap, and you know, that's going to have to continue, period, end of story. And I think one of the other off-season priorities, if maybe not really a priority, but maybe an off-season need <laughs> going into next year is, you know, which one of the young wingers is going to step up and really be able to play a big role for you next year? Pod Colson, Hoaglander, Kravtsov, like one of these guys, especially if you're moving out somebody, one of those guys has got to step up and, and seize a big spot on this team. I mean, you'd need one of those guys, but also how many of them will be back next season? And again, like you start looking at, you know, we talked about the buyout stuff mm -hmm. and how ownership, they may not be willing to buy it out according to what Elliot Friedman said on the 32 Thoughts podcast. The Canucks would have to get creative. Well, obviously, 
we all know to move money, you can add sweeteners, but a creative way to make a deal would be to add a sweetener to a Connor Garland or a Brock Besser or even a Tyler Myers, and not necessarily just to get the money off the books, but to make a hockey deal where you get something back in return that actually helps you a little bit or fills a need for you, and you're addressing your your issues one way, or you're clearing some money by also getting somebody back not making a lot, but it costs you more than just trading Garland, for instance. Like, how many of those guys are going to be part of that? Like, is, is Hoaglander part of the organization? Is... Um, Rathbone going to be a part of the organization. How many of those guys get moved as as make weights potentially, and how many are going to be here trying to fight for spots? Let's bring in our next guest. He joins us uh, every Friday here on Canuck Central. It's Yannick Hansen, former Vancouver Canuck, and this analyst is brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. Thanks for this, Yannick. How how you doing? Yeah, my pleasure as always. I'm good, thank you. So um, the Canucks finished with 30 points after the trade deadline, Yannick. That is the fifth highest mark in in the National Hockey League. But uh, it doesn't feel like anybody's uh, believing in what the team sold over these la- over this last month again. No, because it's like we've kind of seen that story before, and it'd be different if they were now sitting in the first wildcard spot or, or the the second one where you can see, okay, they made a hell of a run down the road. They played a ton of meaningful games and they were able to do this. They might actually do some damage. No, no, they did that when when, when it was all said and done. And that's where where this, like, we, we keep hoping that they'll hit the road running like this next year when the season starts. But that's what we were hoping a year ago as well and the year before that and, and all these times and that's what keeps bringing me back to that thing it's easier to play when there's no pressure mm-hmm. um, teams take you lightly and you go out you play with a different flair um, try things uh, other teams are squeezing their stick because oh Calgary really want to get in the playoff um, so they're playing all this tight hockey where we come out and you, you you win a shootout win that for us means absolutely nothing, but for them might have broken their back. So it, it's it's one of those things where until you do it when, when it matters, uh, don't put anything into it. Well, and that's the big thing, right? And I think we've all kind of talked about that. It's like, hey, what's going to happen next offseason? Now, you know, where the Canucks find themselves, they do have a chance at Connor Bedard with the 11th worst record, but there is some discussion in the market about could the Canucks have done less to try to win? Should they have reduced the minutes of their players' limited starts for Thatcher Demko, for instance? Like, where do you come out on that? Like, in terms of Quinn playing 27 minutes a game, which is more than any other non-playoff team, one of the top guys in the league, and Pedersen playing, you know, over 21 minutes a game, same thing with JT Miller, and obviously those guys playing more, Demko playing a lot, helped them win more games. Did they, did they do too much to win, you think? Or is that just how it goes? Well, if that's the conversation you were having right at the top, it, it should have come when you decided to fire Bruce. Because that one where the wheels were falling off. Then if that's what you're going for, why are you hiring Rick? Because he's going to come mm-hmm. in and there's no question this po- coach bump is going to happen. It's just how many points are they going to get from it. So if you really want to tank, and I know that's a no-no word in NHL and you're not allowed to do it and all these things, well, then you ride Bruce out. You tell Demmer, hey, well, you know what? We're, we're going we're gonna to try to do this and just get healthy. Go home, have a good time. Um, you're going to play Quinn 18 minutes a night, and the same with Petey and, and JT and these guys. But uh, would there be any positive feelings right now coming out of the dressing? No, there wasn't. We weren't going to be talking about Petey hitting 100 points, 40 goals, 
we weren't probably weren't going to be talking about JT Miller turning his season around either. Um, so there's all these things that that come into play as well. And then you got to still get lucky because it is still some twenty odd percent in order to get that first pick. That being said, you're only going to drop three spots worse, so you're probably going to get a better player as well. Um, but again, as soon as you hire hire the new coach, then you're kind of tossing that out that, uh, okay, we're going to try to, to land on a, on a lower spot because he's going to coach to win. He's going to coach to turn this team around, and he's going to want to do it as, as soon as possible. Don't as a new coach, don't you have to uh, do that? It, it's almost as if you're you're building a relationship with your new players, and they expect you to coach to win, and and they they kind of know when you're not coaching to win games. Like yeah, and, pl- and you also he he can't flip that switch either. He he can't go easy on them for however 31 games or however many many they played uh, under under him, and then expect okay now and uh, now off season comes and now we really start. No, he, he has to come in and, and change the culture and all these things that we've been screaming about for, for, for so long. And he's got to do that from day one. He's got to hold them accountable. He can't start holding them accountable in, in September next year. They're going to say, oh, what, what happened here? You, you are not the guy we had and all this thing. It just creates so many mixed, uh, mixed, mis- mixed mes- messages. So as soon as you hire him, um, you're taking a step in the right direction in terms of play points-wise. Is that what they needed the most? That's debatable. Um, but but again, as soon as he's hired, uh, no, you're 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 looking for more wins than losses. I'd say. Well, I think when when that's the case, it becomes a, a matter of what's realistic and what's not realistic. Because one of the things that I've been saying the past few days is, and I agree completely with you, the biggest thing that got in the way of the quote-unquote tank was a coaching change and how they handled the coaching situation all season. When it got to a point, they felt like they had to make the change, but it all started with how they handled it. So to me, that's the thing we have to point to more than anything else. And how realistic is it for... A coach, when they have a blue line like the way the Canucks have theirs, and we went through yesterday looking at other teams, and they actually have some guys who can play top four minutes. But when you have Cal Burrows, Akito Hirose, Cole McWard, you know, Guillaume Brisebois, Will Lennon, and these other guys who have been playing a lot of minutes, I mean, is it, it can, do you face a credibility issue if the coach li- limits the play of your best defenseman just to get other guys going, even if they don't play well? Yeah, but it's, it's such a thing because, like, the coaches are. They're driven by wins even more than the players because it's mm-hmm. how they get measured. And again, you're if you're behind the bench and you need a win, well, who's going to give you the best option to that? Um, and then you're going to roll out those players. And, and again, yeah, I know he knows that they're out of it and everything, but but he's also looking for to look at, uh, at pushing some buttons. Is like how hard can I push Quinn Hughes and him still performing night after night? So when I need him. Uh, what is that going to be 12 months from now? C- can I play him 30 minutes a night? And can I do that for a month, a month and a half in a row w- without him tilting over and, and his, his game starts to suffer a little bit? So those are some of the uh, the things he's been able to do this year uh, in a no-pressure situation where he's been able to push these guys and see how they respond. And again, going back to the, to the lineup, obviously it's not the same lineup and all these new guys coming in and then they're feeding off first NHL games and it's all fun and games right now. And again, that's where it's so hard to judge them as well because of the environment they're, they're playing in. I hope that the, these young guys can come in and play like this and produce and provide and, and, and all these things. Is it reasonable? I don't think so. 
Um, but but again, uh, uh, everything will will fall into place uh, come October. Well, we saw Akito Hirose, you know, play pretty well here in this little stretch uh, over the final few games of the season. Um, it, it, it's nice, you know, five six games, um, but it's not something you can you can bank on. And, and really, with any of these young players, it's sort of. The, the bigger conversation, again, you know, how much of all of this can you really take away? Even the idea like, yes, they've played with better structure. Yes, they've played a little bit better defensively, but it's it's got to be something you show again come September and October. Yeah, and, and again, I, I've said that a, a couple times as well. It's easy to play a good NHL game. It's easy to play five as well. The, 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 the problem becomes playing 75 uh, well games. So once you you get into the grind, um, into the thick of things, you get on your six-game road trip far east and back-to-backs and all these things, um, This the schedule gets a little bit lighter towards the end of the year. You're not out of your conference as much. Uh, you're, not on the, you're not on the East Coast. You're mostly in division as well. Um, all, all of these things tie together. Um, and again, you're, when you come from college, to a team like Vancouver right now, you, you're being given longer looks. So as you get these looks, you get more comfortable because you're playing the minutes that you need to in order to touch the puck and ball. Where if this is do or die, these guys would be getting these five, eight minutes if they're even getting into the lineup because there's so many injuries. And then you're not feeling comfortable at all in your the puck is a hot potato. Um, that's why it comes back to you. You've got to find a way to get these guys playing meaningful games because that's the only way you can really judge them as to see what you got um, is under those pressure situations when, yeah, if, if you mess up here, we, we might be done. Um, then, then you can start to see what uh, what type of players they really are because there's no question they're skilled. Uh, they're good hockey players. They can put it together and all these things. Um there are so many of those, but there's a reason there's only a few that come through that, uh, that, that, that needle eye there. And in order to find them, you need to find a situation where they will, uh, they'll get tested. And in terms of making plays, because you're right in, uh, you know, when we see guys make plays, and I think sometimes what we see in the preseason and late in the season when, when there isn't as much pressure is guys have time and space and they can make these really great plays. And I don't want to focus on Hirose, but he makes a few plays, but how when we look at guys like you said guys who are who are capable of playing one or two games in the NHL how careful do we have to be about them making plays when they don't have pressure on them like every guy should be able to make a stretch pass without pressure on them right yeah you want to see it you want to see it. there's no question i want to i definitely want to see it now cuz if i don't see it now i'm not going to see it when it really matters um yeah. so so again it's great to see that they can do it um but again i just don't want to put it re- too much into it and then we go into the offseason and we think okay we got Quinn Hughes now we have Philip Veronek um Tyler Myers is a maybe but then we got uh, these two new young guys defensemen they look pretty good maybe we don't need these defensemen um, that we've been talking about we need them for so long in order to fix our decor and that's the dangerous part with reading too much into what they're doing and say okay we might be set here because we have the bodies now um and then you're not going out filling the hole that you probably need in the defensive core because you rely on five or six games um, from a couple of players that, that they, they look pretty good. The team was performing well. Like you said, fifth best uh, win percentage down the road. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, it gets real. Yannick Hansen, our guest here on, uh, on Canuck Central. As far as uh, off-season priorities go, 
Uh, we've we've heard a lot of uh, they may want to add a third line center. They may want to continue to add on D. What do you think they should be looking to add this summer? Uh, right-handed third line center, and then hopefully, depending on what they do with Tyler Myers and OEL, you, you need two defensive defensive defensemen, in my opinion. Um, two that can kill penalties, uh, make it a little harder for opposing players in your end. Um, I'd love to see a Luke Shen brought back for the third pairing. Um, he, he would obviously fill some of those things I, I just mentioned as well there, but I prefer him not to, to play 22 minutes alongside Quinn Hughes. Um, I prefer uh, Heronic and Quinn Hughes being split, um, so there's puck movers on, on those two D pairings. And then finding somebody who will uh, clean up the mess that, that they leave behind, making sure they're covered. Um, uh, so again, yeah, it's it sounds like it's not that much, but again, you got to find the, the the right quality. But but again, you need a right-handed center, uh, preferably somebody who is who is strong in the circle uh, and can hold a line on their own. Um, it was great to see JT Miller uh, after Bo got. Uh, uh, got traded that stepping up and and filling a, a huge void that was left behind but it, it doesn't didn't seem that big after he stepped right in and started playing like he like he did last year and again if he plays like he did down the stretch here then then he's earning that, that deal he signed uh, in the off season and and we don't have to worry about that in, in the near future well one of the things i wanted to follow up uh, on that too is when when we look at the priorities in terms of the type of center you need to have, you face-offs are massively important. But in terms of the one trait that's really needed, would you rather have a guy that's a 20-point third-line center who can play 15 minutes and kill penalties, or would you rather have a guy who does a bit of everything but doesn't excel defensively on the PK? No, we need a little bit more specific type players here. Yeah, um, we we have a ton of guys that can do a little bit of everything. Connor Garland, um, Bo Villier looks like that type of mold. Ilya Mikhaev can can do that as well. JT Miller can fill just about anything as well when he's playing the way he is right now. So so you'd like an ace, if you will. That that's why you don't need to go out and find more defensemen who can who can uh, drive the play and put the mm-hmm. puck in the net. No, we have two of those right now. And you have a, a potential a Jack Rathbone down in, in the minors who, who hopefully will turn into something like that down the road as well. You, you need some of the other in order to, to again, make, make the team complete. So, again, it doesn't matter what kind of style we, we run into, what type of team are we playing. Do we have to, to watch out for Connor McDavid tonight? Or, or, or is it a grinding game against L.A.? Um, it, it doesn't matter because we have we have all the tools in order to to play against all these different type of, of teams. Tockett has mentioned uh, that he wants to get more four checkers, quality four checkers uh, on this team. I think he identified Phil DiGiuseppe as one and uh, played him quite a bit down the stretch there with with JT. And then we saw these last couple of games he played with JT and Pedersen. Uh, do you see what what Tockett is um, sort of talking about? This team needs more four checkers. Four checkers, uh, then you, you push the pace in the games and you make the team uncomfortable. There's so much skill in the, in the league right now that as soon as you give guys a, a second to look up, they're going to make plays. You've seen so many come-from-behind victories, uh, high-scoring games, and that's because there is so much skill. In order to, to stress skill, you need speed, you need the disruptive players, and again, those are the four checkers, uh, making sure the demons don't get the eyes up the... Ice up the uh, ice up the ice, and um, so they can't see things. And so again, I like 
I like to play with pace as well. Um, it, it's uh, it's a fun way to play. It's in it, it's entertaining, and again, it 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 requires a lot out of your team, uh, not only in in structure and uh, knowing where each other are, but but also in just in in you got to be in shape because um, you're pushing the pace every time you're out there. And if one guy misses, well, then you get picked apart. Um, so again, if you can play a high-paced game, especially when you don't have the puck as well, all of a sudden you, you're dictating a lot more. Uh, Yannick, uh, before I let you go, I did want to ask you, you know, we have people asking us one. I know you answered this um, with with Bick earlier this week talking about the Bull Horvat thing. But I don't want to ask necessarily, you know, I know you gave your answer on it, but Shane O'Brien went off the other day about it as well, and we won't play the clips or anything, but why does it seem like some former players and guys who played with the Canucks were a bit more annoyed by what Bull Horvat did than, than say, others, perhaps? Um, for me personally, it's because it wasn't direct. It was directed in the wrong direction. Yeah, it was the fans that was um, that's booing and and wasn't. But again, the team wasn't performing. Um, and again, you're allowed to be critical. And as I said to Big, if he was critical at Jim or Patrick Alvin and say, no, I, w- I just wanted this and they didn't want to give it to me and they under that I could completely understand because he had a phenomenal year. Um, but he goes out and he criticizes fans for, for not cheering on him losing. Um, so it's kind of like, well, 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 what do you expect? Should they be cheering you on when we're, we're fourth last in the NHL, when we're supposed to be in a, in a playoff spot? Um, that's kind of what hurt me the most. Yannick, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this. Thank you. Take care. There is uh, Yannick Hansen joining us uh, here as he does every Friday on, uh, on Canuck Central. That yeah, was uh, some pretty strong words from uh, from Obi on uh, on what Bo Horvat had to say. Oh yeah, we can't play it. It's too uh, it's too uh, <laughs> explicit. Yeah, but I mean, if you want to, I mean, it's not hard for you to find it. I mean, people have seen it already. Missing curfew. I mean, they posted it on their on all all their socials. Yep. And, kind of making the rounds or whatever. But, I mean, that's why I want to ask him because it seems like some of the – and I talked to a couple of players off the record about it. And former Canucks – and some people don't mind, right? But there are some former Canucks who didn't love it. And Obi's one, even Yannick kind of, you heard him. He's more political, obviously, than what Obe said. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting hearing former players and their take. Well, if you don't have success, what do you expect? Well, and to Yannick's point, Yannick – see, because Yannick came from the era – of Canucks hockey, where the accountability was the highest in recent memory, mm-hmm. with the Sedins, you know, with with that group of players, and they knew if they didn't perform, they had to face the music, and they liked that accountability. And you know, in terms of hey, we got to like forget what the media says, like we hold ourselves to a higher standard, and it's fair to be criticized, it's fair for these things to happen, as long as we're not providing, we're not playing at the level we need to play at. And if you have that mentality, you're going to be like, well, don't complain about getting ripped. You guys haven't made the playoffs. Be better. And yeah. that to me is the right mentality, but. Look, the blame never lands all on one person's doorstep, right? Like, that's that's obvious in this conversation. But you're the captain of the team. You should expect a certain level of blame to come your way when things aren't pretty. And I think that's fair. Now, Bo, in a happier spot, he's going to the playoffs. Good for him. But uh, I understand a lot of the sentiments that are coming out about what Bo Horvat said and uh, including that of some of the former players on this Canucks team. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shah. Coming up, we've got the mailbag. Your questions for us next here on Canucks Central.